Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law in Chicago, and I've got a great, great show for you guys today. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, we have the Grateful Dead from August 4th, 1994 in Giant Stadium. And although that date may be a little bit out of whack for the show that uh, with today's date, uh, we're doing it because we are very lucky to also have with us a guest, Mr. Christian Sauska, uh, who is coming to us, and we will be chatting with him in a few minutes. He uh, was at this show that we're featuring today, which is why we're featuring it, and uh, he's going to talk with us about all sorts of stuff, uh, the music that he makes, New Orleans-style music, uh, his recollections of the Grateful Dead, and other fun things that I'm sure we will get to during our show. Uh, but let's dive right into August 4th, 1994, Giants Stadium, and this is what they opened with. into a dead show and they open up with box of rain you give yourself a little pat on the back and said i came on the right day that worked out just fine for me and uh unfortunately i wasn't there and i never in fact never made it inside a giant stadium in east rutherford or anywhere they had it uh but christian did christian welcome to our show thank you so much for taking the time to join us today well thank you larry thank you for uh thank you for having me i'm excited to be here similarly i was excited to be at that show it was in fact my first Everybody has one, and that's not a bad first show to go to. Uh, you know, Giant Stadium has been known to be uh, the home of some of the uh, some of uh, some of the finest uh, summer dead shows out there, and uh, for many a year uh, hosted the dead on their uh, annual East Coast summer swings. You know, playing to upwards of sixty thousand plus people. Uh, all New Yorkers, and I'll withhold my comments on that. But anybody who's ever been to an East Coast dead show knows exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, you know the the it was funny because, um, you know, Dan asked for this show because you had been there. And I said, sure, that's great. We can do it. And I started to read the reviews of it. And, and I'm going to tell you right now that, you know, some of these deadheads were just an entitled bunch of, I won't even get into it, right? Oh, anything after 93, I won't listen to. I was there, but I don't, I don't count that. And I don't, Jerry's fad and this and that. And I'm like, of course, absolutely. But you know what? There were 60,000 people there that day and the next day and the day after that, the whole rest of the tour was sold out. And they sold out right through the final show at Soldier Field. Sometimes it was painful. Sometimes you need kind of winced a little bit. But Jerry fucking Garcia, for God's sakes. And, <laughs> you know, anybody who wasn't happy with that, then, you know, look, it, you must have fallen off the bus somewhere along the way and uh, and, and not made it all the way back. Um, one other thing to note about this recording today is that it is an audience tape. So we do pick up some ambient conversation and other stuff like that in the background, uh, which to me just makes it more genuine because if you've been to a show, people around you are talking all the time anyway. Um, so, so uh, Christian, this raises the obvious question. What got you to your first Grateful Dead show? Well, I grew up, growing up in Connecticut, I was, uh, I'm a prep, you know, I'm a New England prep school kid. I went to private school. I was not a deadhead there were kids in my group who said they were into the grateful dead and i thought they were crazy lunatics and didn't understand why they would uh you know i didn't think they knew what they were talking about and then uh-huh. i was probably never one to say no very often that's not one of my best traits as dan can probably attest to and uh one of my buddies came one of my closest dearest friends and was certainly ended up on the bus with me uh we said we were going so the two of us took off we went to east rutherford didn't have a ticket got a ticket in the parking lot was looking at everything taking it all in we had fun made a lot of the same mistakes i think if you look this is you know 
traffic open. Jerry came on. They did Dear Mr. Fantasy. I may have told some people at some point that we were there, but we were not there for that. We didn't know what we were doing. I was not a deadhead at this point. Uh, you know, made some mistakes in the parking lot. Luckily, made it home safe. Everything was fine. And then, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if it's weird, not weird. My my journey, let's say, did not begin until after Jerry died, and 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 it and it and it and it hit me in the face, and it hit me hard. So <laughs> you know, that's. But so I, I made it to two shows total, but not with any of the excitement I had. Let's say when I went to go, you know, if I went to even not, not when I went to the Grateful Dead 50, 50th anniversary shows in Chicago, that was that was there was an excitement and an emotion there that I certainly did not have in my first show because I did not, I wasn't on the bus yet. I might have seen it coming, but I, I didn't get on. Well, you know, that's, I think, what happens to everybody in their first shows. And, you know, some people got on the bus very late and you didn't start seeing shows until 94 or 95. And for them, you know, that's the whole body of, of live Grateful Dead music that they have to work with. And so I'm sure that they look at it a little bit differently than some of us jaded guys who had already been seeing them, you know, for 10 to 15 years by that point. And forget about me, right? There were people who had been seeing them for 25, 30 years and maybe even farther back than that. And although, you know, we were all respectful of Jerry and understood that, you know, he wasn't entirely healthy and he was out there kind of trooping on, you know, there wasn't, there still wasn't really this sense that like, well, the, the, the final curtain's about to come down on them or anything. And then it did. And I think it gave everybody a whole lot of appreciation. By the time they pulled it all together for the 2015 50th reunion show, I think it did spark a lot of uh, energy in a positive way because, you know, a lot of deadheads who never really felt that they had a sense of closure with the Grateful Dead because they had seen them somewhere on the 94 or 95 tour, you know, decided, yeah, this isn't really what I've been hearing on my buddy's tapes. I don't know if I'm going to keep going back or not. And then, like you say, have finally have a chance to sit down and listen to a wide body of the work and realize, wow, this is great, great music. And I missed out on it. Um, and 2015 gave people a great opportunity to catch up on that. And, you know, people have their differences of opinions and feelings about Dead Co., but, you know, they, they played strong for seven or eight years. Um, and I always enjoyed going to the shows. You know, like I've been very open about the fact that I wasn't always wild about the arrangements or the way they played some of the songs. But on the other hand, they played the songs and they played them in the environment where you want to hear it with all the other deadheads around and with as many of the surviving members as they could bring together under one roof and still keep peace in the family, apparently. Um, but that's a whole deadhead thing that, you know, a circle thing that those of us who are just deadheads on the outside could speculate about. Can we never speculate had to, all we want. Right. We never, we never really had to know what was going on. Um, but, you know, I got to say for your first show, uh, you know, to come out strong with a box of rain, that's, that's like, that's a good sign. You know, my first show was Bertha. There's certain songs that are just meant to be first songs at your first show. And if you get it, I, I think the good karma just flows right along with you. And it did in this show, apparently, because the very next song they played is another one of my favorites. Okay, so you're at your first show. It's like box of rain, check, jack straw, check. Uh, that, you know, most deadheads probably have to go to 5, 10, 15 shows before they can, they get, they get to see songs like that. Yeah. We, I remember I was with my buddy Bill. We were, we were in the car. He might've known more songs than I did at this time. And we were saying, we just want to know a couple of songs. We did. If we know a few songs, then, then it's a win. And it's like, bam, bam. Holy crap. This is awesome. It was, uh, I remember, I remember that feeling. So every, yeah, yeah everything else was lame. Yeah. As we say down here afterwards. 
Right. No, you know what? It, it was, it was awesome. And it was, uh, you know, even years later, you know, going to a show towards the end of the run and, uh, you know, you'd see them come out like this 94 box of rain, Jack Straw. You, you do, you, you never, you never get tired of, it. you never grow that, that emotion never grows old. You never wear out of it. It's just, wow, the boys are really kicking tonight. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe kicking for 94, uh, wasn't the same as kicking for 77 or, you know, 85, but, uh, you know, for those of us that were still checking them out in 94 and, and supporting the band, uh, uh, they were great. And, you know, we enjoyed all of it. And, um, you know, they could play a song like Jack Straw and, and still just, you know, kick butt with it and get that energy going. And you can feel, you can, you can hear them on stage when, when Jerry's enjoying himself and not going through one of these, oh God, I got to drag my way through. I mean, I, I was, that's, I think that's everything. If he was in a good mood, everything was going to be running totally well. And, and, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I've, at some points in my life, been the, the, the picky guy or wanted, wanting to be a little snotty at times and, and the later stuff isn't as good. But it, and if I look back at it, it was a 1993 show that I was listening to that absolute, like it was the fish hook that pulled me in. And yep. I probably myself don't listen to the later, late 80s and 90s stuff as much as I would do the 70s stuff. But sure, I, I, I don't know that I feel too guilty for it. No, <laughs> look, that's the beauty of being a deadhead. You know, there's different eras. Some yeah. deadheads are, are specifically attracted to one, you know, you know, a lot of folks don't believe the Grateful Dead existed past 1969 or 70, you know, when they put what, you know, my co-host Rob and I uh, always call primal dead and Dave Lemieux calls it that too. So we're not trying to claim credit for that, Dave. We get it that, that you've done it as well, but primal dead, you know, which is wonderful stuff. And I love that era. I also happen to love the Americana era that flowed out of that. But some people say, hey, when Tom Constant left the group and they, you know, they, they put away the psychedelics in that regard and went under the other stuff, they were okay, but that's not the real Grateful Dead. And some, you know, people say, if you didn't see him in 73, 74, 77, you know, 78, you never saw him. No. Okay. No. I, you know, but I had to see him when I see him and, you know, uh, I, I've got, I've got no complaints. And although I sure it would have been fun to see them back when I could, uh, within the 30 year period when they were playing, I feel damn lucky to have, you know, kind of dropped down right in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, really had a chance to see a good number of those shows and, uh, you know, really get a chance to experience it. And, you know, you too, once, once you see a show, it doesn't matter how many you've seen, you've seen it, you know, what people are talking about. You can join the conversation. Um, absolutely. And, and, and actually this might be a good opportunity for me to talk. I have this guilt. Sometimes you were talking about, you know, early, like early seventies, <laughs> early seventies, early seventies, I'm listening and I, and, 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 and it's like, Oh, this, this, it works so well and, and there's an experimentation to it and, and a rawness, but it's still a big energy, but I almost get, I almost feel bad because a lot of the shows I end up liking is Mickey wasn't in the band, right? It was when his little hiatus was going on and I almost feel guilty how much I enjoyed some of those shows. And I, I don't know that it would have been different if he was there, if it wouldn't have been better if he was there. I'm not, I don't have that kind of opinion, but there is almost, why do I feel that way? I, 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 I have a hard time coming to terms with it. Well, you know, I think that, you know, those of us that, you know, for whom the Grateful Dead are defined as, you know, the six guys between the 80s and the 90s, just switching out uh, Vince Welnick for, for Brent when it became necessary to do so, unfortunately. You know, that's who we really think of, you know, when, when they played in 2015 and they didn't invite Vince back to them. But I, you know, I just, I discovered that, you know, Jeff Comenti, who I had heard before, but really in, in those shows, in my opinion, you know, really rose to the top as, as, as one of the ultimate keyboard players who could play with them. And you say, boy, where was he after Brent died? Um, you know, but I, I, saying that I loved Vince and I, I love the way he performed in the 90s. But yeah, you do wind up feeling a little bit guilty about that, I think, because we like to think of them as a collective whole. You know, as far as Mickey goes, you know, my feelings are very simple. Look, his father came in and screwed the band. Now, whether that was Mickey's fault or not, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of saying, I don't think it was, but you know, who knows, but either way, Mickey felt like he needed a, a breather. Maybe the band felt like they needed a breather either way off he went. And, uh, you know, Kreutzmann stepped in and, and, and did the job admirably. And, you know, I think credit to all of them is during that period of time, Kreutzmann's drumming is, is just absolutely stupendous. He really drives that band and does a fine job of doing it solo. But I think, you know, some people might be forgiven if they sat there and listened to it and the way that he and Mickey so seamlessly drum together. Sometimes it's hard to tell that it's just one drummer. You have to know what period it is and what's going on, I think, in some of these instances to really be able to pick up on the fact 
you know, as, as well as Kreutzmann can play, but more importantly, as well as they all play together. And, uh, you know, I think credit to Kreutzmann and the rest of the band that when Mickey was ready to come back, they were ready to have him back. Everybody benefited from it. And, right. you know, he's still there today, you know, doing his thing. And we got the Rhythm Devils. I mean, you can't, nobody's, I'm not, nobody's complaining. But actually, this, remi- this reminds me, there was a, uh, I, the, the Grateful Dead channel, Sirius Radio, the Tales from the Golden Road. Sure. We're, all, we're allowed to talk about this, right? Absolutely. We love David and, and I've always always wanted to call in and uh, never quite did. I, I was dropping my son off at a soccer game. It was an hour early. It just comes on. I said, I'm calling. And, you know, couldn't get through, couldn't get through, get on. And the reason I wanted to call them, I did end up getting on. We had a great conversation, was that I have, you know, my, my kids and my wife don't always want to listen to the Grateful Dead radio, uh, it's serious radio. And, uh, but I'll, I made it a game. I said, all right, if it's a live show, I'm going to guess from within two years when it, when it was going to be. And that's, is it, you know, is it one drum or is it two drums? All right. There's not a gene. Okay, good. But the reason I called is because I didn't know how to, I didn't have any tricks for the eighties. Right. I mean, you, you tell people who are uninitiated 65 to 95 is 30 years of live music. I'm going to tell you within two years when that song was played, it sounds impressive, but there's a lot of little tricks, but the eighties killed me. It killed me. And they pointed out on, on when I called in that it was the longest period of the sustained lineup that didn't change. Right. So that made sense. The only thing they could come up with was that after the coma, Brent put something into his and, and, his, and his keys had a different kind of sound. I, I don't even remember what they said. I, I, I should figure that out. But even they said that it's, it's just it's, it's hard in the 80s to figure out, you know, what, what when, when it was. But it was still a fun game. That was a fun phone call. Oh, I know. I, I, first of all, uh, we've had David Gans on the show, and he's a wonderful guy. We haven't had Gary Lambert yet, but maybe one of these days we'll be lucky enough to get him too. Sure, th- their Sunday show, I think, is almost required listening for Deadheads because in, in order – to you know, really build up this this base of knowledge and understanding and feeling about the dead. There's nothing better than hearing the stories of other deadheads. Some of them are you know long and boring. Others of them are really short and absolutely amazing. Uh, but you hear this and you hear the way other deadheads have processed this whole experience, not just the music, but you know I I love their stories. Well, I picked up my buddy and we went here. And some people are like I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear. No, I do want to hear about that because I had those long road trips with buddies and. Those were always an integral part of everything that happened. You know, the, 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 it was all, there was the musical part and then the, everything else, the travel part, we have to eat, we got to sleep, we got to, you know, and you do all of it. And um, so, you know, they're really a lot of fun to listen to as well. For the 80s, I think that's true. Um, I, I think that Brent became a little more aggressive the second half of the 80s uh, in terms of his playing and his singing. Um, well, one thing is, at the beginning of the 80s, Phil was not singing. By the end of the 80s, Phil was singing. So if you pick up a Phil song, you already know you're in the, the second half of the month, uh, second half of the year, of, of, of the decade, I should say, right? But um, right. Oh, oh, that's a, there you go. I like that. That's a nice little... Right. right? So if you pick up Phil singing, that, that, that eliminates, you know, that gets you at least to 84 or 85 when he started doing Tom Thumb's Blues. Right. Um, and then Box of Rain in 86, and from then on in, he was, he was always singing. Um, but I also think part of it just has to be the, uh, uh, the song selection. And that's hard. If you're listening to uncle John's band, that may be very tough, right. To discern. Yeah. Um, but if you're listening to, uh, built to last, then, you know, you know, you're talking about 88, 89 or somewhere in there. Right. And you song know, selection can be a part. Yes, for sure. So, but yeah, in terms of actual sound, I, I think it does get difficult, uh, during that period, you, you know, like, but there's, I mean, I, we all have tricks, right? If you're listening to They Love Each Other and it's that fast, upbeat, snappy version, that's 1973. That's the only year they ever played it that right. way. And, you know, when you hear Dark Star and at the very beginning, you hear like those little maracas scratching together. That's 1968 and 69. That's, they always started Dark Star that way during that period of time. And, you know, I mean, we, we could sit here and go through and, and, and pull out all of these, but I love to play that game. And, and in fact, what I do is, and, I don't know if you've listened to fish at all. I enjoy fish now and I've, I've come to like them because my kids are into them so much that I thought, you know, it would be fun to get into them and see some shows with them as well. But I, I w- the difference is, is that fish has been playing the same songs more or less the same way all the way through. They didn't really have a primal fish and a, a Americana fish and a, you know, and, and so, you know, when they play possum, possum is possum and, and you know, 
Gordon sings it and the rest of them all come in on the back and it's a great tune and I love it, but I, I couldn't necessarily distinguish. I'm sure people who have seen fish 150 or 200 times could sit there and tell you by how, how their voices sound and whether their voices are too scratchy or not or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and that can give it away. But, you know, the, definitely with the dead, you have those little markers. That's great. I, you know, you're the first guest that we've talked about with. True. It almost, it almost makes it uh, easier or uh, it's a chronicle or, or for education purposes as you're going back, the different eras of, of the band. It's true. Um, it's true. Yeah. And I, I haven't thought about it so much. as I've seen fish a lot, got off on fish plenty. But with me, there was it's, it's a, there's the Grateful Dead. And then there is everybody else. Right. Like that's no doubt. And I, I, I sometimes I almost wished it was different because I could have seen seen them more. I had friends who they went full boat fish, and I was like, I get it. It's rocking. I love it. But it ain't the same for me. And, and I don't know. Nor for me. I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I mean, now I go back and I'm listening to the fish stations. They're playing all these shows from the late '80s, early '90s. It's like, wow. I mean, this was a band that was really coming of age right at a point in time when I was perfectly positioned to have stepped in and seen all of that. Yeah. But I was still seeing 20 dead shows a year, you know, with a wife and kids, all of a sudden you get to a point where you don't quite have that same luxury unless you're my, my son, Matthew's good friend, Kevin, who somehow has a couple of kids, but manages to get out and see every freaking show in the world. His wife is a saint. I don't know how he does it, but (laughs) you know, more power to him. Right. But I mean, otherwise it's, you reach a point that I, I just, I, I didn't have the ability to, to catch both of them. And so I, I used all my, my, uh, my points to go see, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead. And then after, you know, Jerry died and it stopped, it was kind of hard. I think, you know, there, there was a part of me that, that felt like it, it, I wasn't glad or relieved that they, that, you know, that, that he had died and that they had stopped playing, but it's like anything else in life. All of a sudden you're like, wow, look at all this additional time I have that I'm not spending, running off to Grateful Dead shows, right? And it was like, no, I, I'm not doing anything this weekend. You know, normally we'd be in, you know, Las Vegas at the Sam Boyd Silver Bowl, but not anymore. Let's go do something. And, um, you know, I, I tell you, you know, I was the bull season ticket holder until recently. And, you know, same thing, you know, my wife, everybody knew, you know, May and June, Bulls playoffs, we're not going anywhere. And then Michael Jordan retired and, you know, the Bulls sucked. They weren't even in the playoffs. And, you know, all of a sudden it was like, wow, May and June are wide open for, these are good travel months. Who knew? <laughs> right. So but let me, let me ask you this question. Um, tell me a little bit about your musical background, because clearly, uh, you know, you have some uh, connections to music and uh, what are they? And, and, you know, what's really got you going in music? So my, I, I grew up, uh, you know, my mom listened to uh, Dire Straits, Clapton, La Hendrix. So that I had that little bit of a foundation, but uh but it, it, I became, I was a parrot head. I was Jimmy. At one point, Jimmy Buffett, when I was in my teens, I wanted to party and it was, uh, sure. it was Jimmy Buffett. And I, and I was a champion. Cheeseburger of, in paradise, baby. <laughs> and then, uh, and then called to dead, you know, went to a couple of dead shows, did my freshman year of college in, at Tulane and oh, got, God. got, and it was worse than that. And, <laughs> And it was, right, this was, this was, it was, what, 90, mid-90s, 94, drinking Connecticut hard, you know, 21 and strict. And then I moved here and I could have a large pizza, six pack of beer and a pint of Jack Daniels delivered to my dorm room right. at midnight. Yep. I had no, I had no, no. chance. And uh, so I had gotten exposed a little bit to some more New Orleans music and actually Fish played uh, right next to my dorm in McAllister would have been either fall of 94 or spring of 95. And we met them outside. I mean, it was a couple thousand people and they were outside mingling with everybody. And I, you know, I'd seen a couple of shows or whatever. And my, you know, said dumb stuff. Sure. So after my one year, uh, at Tulane before they told me it might be good to take a break. <laughs> I, uh, I was living in Boston and probably partially depressed trying to figure out everything. I, you know, might've had, uh, Bill might've sent me some stuff from Arizona and that was the guy I was at the show with. And, you know, I had some buddies that left. A, so I'm in a new apartment, no TV. I had a black leather lazy boy and my, I, my buddies had left a cassette tape in the uh, over uh, Chapel Hill, March 24th, 93. And I'm just listening to it. Miserable, miserable. And then all of a sudden, as I'm just 
it just kind of goes like this. And it would all, everything made sense. And it was just like fish hook, done. And then for the next decade, for the next decade, all I did was listen to Grateful Dead. That's, I didn't, I didn't do anything else. And, uh, it's not a bad way to spend a decade. No, right. Right. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, as I'm growing up, uh, I'm only uh, up until I had my first kid in 2007, I probably listened 90 plus percent Grateful Dead. Then just like all good. Uh, and this was my musical experience. I was not playing any instruments. And then, uh, he was born, we moved to New Orleans. So I'm back in here, but you know, there's, 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 you know, jazz fest and all this other kind of stuff going on. Long story, trying to get to the short of it. I quit drinking about four years ago. COVID hit. I picked up a bass guitar. I was, was, I bought the cheapest one, cheapest guitar, cheap, cheapest amp. Cause I didn't know if they were going to be, it was going to be for two days or what I was going to do. And I just, I just kept going, kept going. And you know, my God, putting on Jerry Garcia band and playing and listening. It's you hear the crowd and you're like, Oh my God, they love me. <laughs> and it was the most fun I've ever had in sure. my life. There was nothing else I would rather do. Nothing. And then, you know, I, but I'm playing bass and I'm like, why I, I can't, you know, it's not an acoustic guitar. I can't, I, I if you play in bass, you gotta be playing with people. And then I, I did an open mic, met some amazing people, very, everybody I've met has been supportive and encouraging. And then played with some uh, dads, friends I knew, and and it was great. And I said, but Christian, we, upright, we really think this is going to be an upright. I'm like, upright, I'm like fighting for survival with this thing. I, I finally, I rented an upright. I, I, there was another crazy singing group that is hard to explain in any kind of short period of time that I was in. And I, I, they needed my truck and I had an, I said, sure. I just got to, let me put this bass in here. I said, Oh, why do you have that bass? I said, well, I'm going to learn how to play it. I said, well, why don't you play it tonight? So we had a, a show and I'm like, okay. And now I'm in two bands. I can't stop playing. Um, practicing all the time. People paid to see me play. I haven't laughed and it's been an amazing freaking journey. That's great fun. You know, my mom always said, learn to play an instrument. You'll love to do it when you're adult. And I never listened to her. And now I'm adult and I wish I had. So, you know, you, you give it. Your- it's not too late, Larry. No, it's true. It's not too right. late. That's true. You, know, you can just get a few chords. And, and I mean, we played, we played, we went down to a corporate, a corporate event. Not very corporate, but it was a corporate event. And uh, we went down, we played. And we said, guys, this is, we, we, we just, if we do it for us, if we can get off on it, that's all we can ask. And they're either along for the ride or they're not. I pulled out a bow. I don't even know how to hold a bow. We played Marie's heroin for eight minutes with a bow. It's two chords. It went right into Fire on the Mountain. Two more chords. 15 minutes of music. Four chords. It's, it's, and because it, it's all about energy, heart, and, and it's not, nobody's going to play with me because I'm a virtuoso because I, I miss that. I miss that bow. All right. But, no, I understand. Well, you know, Dan Dan Humiston, man, he drives a rough ship over here. We don't always have time to, you know, to break away and play all that music like we'd like to. <laughs> Someday down the road when I can finally, you know, like Jim Marty managed to retire, we'll see what he does one day. But, right, but I, I love that you're talking about the stand-up bass because that's a great lead into the next clip we're going to play from our show from August 4th, 1994. And, and now what we're going to do is we're going to get into a streak the rest of the way here of new, new Grateful Dead music. Thank you. 
So yes, Eternity is, is one of the, uh, what we would always call the new, newer Grateful Dead tunes, because first there was Touch of Grey, then there was the whole Built to Last situation, and then finally we got into uh, these songs that they were playing in the mid to late 90s that uh, never made it onto an album. So you know, we, this was a new Bob Weir song, but it's, it's really got a fascinating history um, because it was written by Bob. The music was written by Bob along with Rob Wasserman, who was a stand-up bass player and, and played with Bob a lot in, in Rat Dog, as well as playing with a number of other famous musicians, but more importantly, and, and I'm going to confess, I never knew this before. The, the lyrics for eternity were written by none other than Willie Dixon. And, uh, which blew my mind when I saw that I had no idea either. And I mean, he was a freak of nature yeah, and, and, in, a, in a positive way, obviously just amazing. Right. So they first played it in February of 93 out in Oakland. It wound up being played 44 times. Uh, it was last played uh, the second to last show, July 8th, 95 at Soldier Field. And although it never came out on an album, it was one of these songs included in the Dead's first post-Jerry box set called So Many Roads. You know, we, we thought that the title of the song was very apt for what the song was, and it did seem to kind of take an eternity for Bob to sing his way through it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't feel entirely bad saying that we, we never really developed much of a... Uh, an affection for this song because I'm not aware of Bobby having even played it anymore. I, I've, I've seen him with Wolf Brothers. I've seen Dead and Company. I, he covers every he covers Jerry all the time on his Wolf. You know right. some of the other tunes that Jerry did, as well as but he doesn't play this one. And I'm like, hey man, this is your tune. Um, you know you should be out there playing it and and, and really getting stuff going on it. And um, you know he didn't, but uh, but you know he did do a lot of stuff with uh, with Rob Wasserman. And although I never saw Rat Dog with Rob Wasserman and feel bad about that, but uh, um, he they really worked well together. And this is a great example of that. Willie Dixon, though, is right as the fascinating one, because this was written right at the very end of his life. He died in 1992 and this song came out. It was, they first started playing it in 93. Um, and, you know, but, but Willie is really, I think you have to say, one of the preeminent blues songwriters or performers we've ever had. Uh, and the Grateful Dead were no stranger to Willie Dixon's tunes. Um, they played Down at the Bottom, I Ain't Superstitious, I Just Want to Make Love to You, which, by the way, was also played by Foghat. For a long time, I thought it was Foghat's song because I had never heard anybody else play it until somebody clued me in that, no, it was actually a Willie Dixon tune uh, after the Dead played it. The Little Red Rooster, which we all heard once every third show throughout the 1980s, the same thing, Spoonful, which we never heard enough, and Wang Dang Doodle, which they were guaranteed to play if they came into Chicago. Um, and uh, you know, but but these are all Willie Dixon songs, and for a lot of Deadheads, they just look at them as though this is just part of the Grateful Dead's repertoire. Uh, but it only was in the in the, in the context of them being uh, 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 cover songs. But uh, Bob Weir, you know, when talking about this particular song with Willie Dixon, he said, he goes, I had this chord progression and melody that I wanted to run by Willie to see if he liked it. So we don't know how to have access to a guy like Willie Dixon to just run some music by and see if he likes it. But Bob did, so credit him for doing it. And Willie liked what he saw, so he started dashing off some words. He wanted me to run a certain section by him again and stuff like that. And we started working on a bridge. Then he dashes off this sheet of lyrics and hands it to me. Now, I'm really stoked to be working with the legendary Willie Dixon, and I'm prepared for just about anything. He hands these lyrics to me, and I'm reading through them, and they seem, you know, awfully simplistic, like there wasn't a whole lot to them. Now he wants me to read through it and sing the melody I have and see if they fit. And so I started singing through these simplistic lyrics, and that simplicity takes on a whole other direction. By the time I had sung through them, it's like my head is suddenly eons wide. I can hear what's been happening just sort of echoing around in there. I'm astounded by the simple grace of what he has just presented to me. I'm sitting there with my mouth open literally, and Willie's laughing. He's just sitting there laughing, saying, now you see it, now you see it. That's the wisdom of the blues. So first of all, that was an explanation that was an eternity. So you know, <laughs> Bob, Bob really has a way of with words. But but when you stop and listen to what he's saying, uh, it, right, it's amazing on two levels. One, because I don't write songs and really have any knowledge about how to write music. And, you know, the fact that there's people that have the ability to do that always amazes me because without them, we wouldn't have any of this great stuff. But the second part, as we've said, is, you know, that he's sitting here basically changing notes back and forth with a legend. I mean, really one of the, one of the greatest legends of all time. And, you know, as a deadhead, that makes me, you know, proud because Willie Dixon, you know, he, he was popular enough. He could have worked with any musicians he wanted to work with. And the fact that, you know, he gave the dead so much time and attention and was willing, you know, to be not just accessible to a guy like Bob Weir, but you know, to literally work with him on crafting some songs uh, has to speak to the fact that he must have really liked the way that they played 
his other tunes. And, uh, you know, that's one of those stories that I, I, I really love hearing about. And, you know, it kind of puts the song in a whole new image. I can't say so much that if they were coming back for one night, I'd want that in the set list. Right. But if they were back, you know, kind of full time and we were going to be seeing them on a regular basis, I wouldn't mind if they threw it in every now and then. Right, right. No, no, I, that's, uh, immediately you got me starting to think if if uh, putting together that set list, did you have to make it in where it would fall during the set or could it just be how are you going to fill it? But yeah, but Willie, Willie Dixon, I, you know, in my last year of studying for the upright, uh, certainly one of the names that came up and there's some great old, I love some of the old videos of him, the old black and white ones. I mean, he's a mountain of a man and he plucked it it doesn't look the same like when I'm playing it and uh, it never does, but he, he was a, you know, he was one of those guys. It was just, it was a force. It was, it was, and I'm sure he appreciated that the grateful dead had something similar, right? They were just, it was a force of energy and he had it and they had it. And, yep. Uh, it certainly rooted a lot in the blues anyhow. So I, th- I think that's very true. Um, and, uh, you know, just because the dead were going to do it this particular night, boy, they really piled it on. So, you know, they, they, uh, they went actually right before this, uh, Jerry did a standing on the moon and a first set standing on the moon, uh, to me was always tremendous. And, uh, excuse me, not standing on the moon, so many roads. He did a first set, so many roads, uh, right before the, uh, um, the eternity and then, uh, closing out the, the trio of new tunes is this next cut, Dan, if you'll run this one. So, you know, if you were like a deadhead that kind of hopped off the bus somewhere, you know, early 90s, you'll be forgiven for not having any clue what this is, other than the fact that it is Phil Lesh singing, uh, which is kind of hard to miss this childhood's end. Yeah. And it was, it was the, the again, the, you know, the quote-unquote new Phil tune. They each had their own new tune, as, they, as we saw in this concert, and they're, they're jamming right through them. Uh, this one was first played in July of 94 at Deer Creek. Uh, it was only made it into the concert uh, repertoire 11 times, but somehow managed to hang on and was played at the final show at Soldier Field on July 9th, 1995. Uh, never made it to a studio album. And interestingly enough, it is the last original Grateful Dead song to enter the live repertoire. And uh-huh. it's written and sung by Phil Lesh. So, you know, okay. there's a trivia question. Yeah. Hats off to Phil. Well, you know, and maybe so, right? Because Box of Rain was the last song they played. So, you know, Phil, every now and then, uh, he knows when to step in and do it. Um, I saw a great article about this from John Hilgard at 4CP Comics. And he says the background story is that Lesh and perhaps the others felt that new songs would help to fuel Garcia's engagement in a period when Jerry was headed in the same direction as in the mid-1980s when his drugged-out bad health put him in a coma that he narrowly survived, living on to drive the 1989 onward renaissance of the band. In the 1995 remake, Jerry died. (laughs) The big musical difference between those two episodes is that everyone else in the band had their shit together in 1994, whereas the whole band was a mess in 1986. So John's general take on the post-Brent 1990s dead is that they were not to be dismissed. A band that had stopped depending on Garcia's leadership to determine the musical outcome, but who were always, therefore, also ready when Garcia was feeling spry. Weir has said something to that effect, and when Garcia was feeling spry, it was just as you wish it would be. And, yeah, I mean, that that's very true. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. On any given night in, in the mid to late 90s, Jerry could come in and, and just be on the top of his game, and we'd have as much fun as we had been having in the 80s. And, uh, 
Um, you know, it, it, it's a great song uh, in the sense that I love that Phil was writing songs. I can't say it was a great song in the sense that I really like to hear it, but you know, it, it, it just showed me that, you know, I mean, if a guy like Phil Lesh is still writing songs, you know, that far into it, it sounds like, you know, everybody's happy or at least content to keep working together. I, I think, and why should they stop writing? Right. I mean, the whole right. band was based on experimentation and anything goes at any time. Like, it would be criminal to, to stop. It doesn't mean, you know, you know, they could shelve it and put a pin in it and maybe wait and, you know, let it, let it figure itself out, let it develop on its own. So, you know, certain songs certainly don't hit home the, the way that so many others do. And, you know, that's not one that, 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 that I happen to, I, you know, maybe I should listen to more. I don't know. It just, I don't find it. It doesn't come up in what I listen to. Um, and you know, uh, I haven't I haven't heard it too many times on Sirius. Uh, no, <laughs> I was going to say right. The, I, I've I've yet to be driving along. Oh, look, they just put on Childhood's End, right? You know, it, it, maybe they'll play a show that it pops up in, but you know, otherwise that's about it. And it's interesting, right? Because some of you know Jerry's last final tunes. Uh, you know, that never made it onto albums are lionized by these guys. They love Days Between. They love Liberty. They love, you know, some of these songs to the point where Bobby plays them with Dead & Co. and with the Wolf Brothers and all of this Jerry stuff that, you know, we think of as, as the really new Jerry stuff. And, and I'll tell you, I, n I never really got behind Liberty very much either. It seemed I, a little too overly simplistic for me. The, the lyrics weren't really as clever as some of the other stuff. And, you know, I felt it was, it was kind of like an end of career effort to, you know, to keep something going. But, you know, I mean, I respect people who that's the, the music that they grew up on hearing the dead play. Liberty is that that's, that's significant for them. And, and you know, I, I can appreciate that. Um, but, uh, even Phil has not played childhood's end all that much, you know, in his Phil and F friends rotations, you know, probably pops up every now and then. Um, but he's too busy playing, you know, uh, Mason's children and, you know, the 11 and all the good, you know, really old grateful dead stuff. We all hoped they would keep playing, but, you know, Jerry decided he didn't want to do it anymore and, and didn't, but, um, you know, I, look, I recognize Phil for what he was. He, he wrote some of the, some of the greatest grateful dead tunes. Like box of rain has to be up there in everybody's top five of, of grateful dead songs for sure. And, um, you know, it was such an integral part of the band musically that, uh, you know, look, Phil wants to write songs. I say, that's great, man. He must be in a good mood. Good for him. Yeah. You know, I, I look when I, when COVID hit, I picked up an I picked up the bass. And the one and only reason I picked up the bass is because when I'm listening to the dead, it is, I am riding Phil and there is a, you know, I don't try and play like him at all, you know, it's, it, it, or pretend to even do whatever, but that is why I picked it up. Right. And so to me, you know, whether I'm talking contribution, I mean, obviously it's immeasurable, but it is, it is reminds me of, I had a good, uh, one of my closest friends, girl lives in LA and she's married and her husband is a very talented musician and was a, uh, a big deadhead and, and played with some of the cover bands and and then uh, uh, we hadn't met and he couldn't propose until he, she had met me. And and so they come into New Orleans and we're having, and I mean, we are fast friends right away, right? Uh, just like this, everything's good. And, you know, we're, four days in the hanging out and going nuts and he, he's over the house and I have a picture of Phil on the wall. And, and, you know, it, somehow the discussion was, well, clearly, you know, you could, it was the dead, it was Jerry. And then, and then, but you know, they couldn't have been the grateful dead without Phil. It's like, yeah. And he said, well, it's the same way without Bobby. I'm like, it's not even close. And he's such a Bobby camp guy. And I'm such a Phil camp guy. And I'm like, who are you? How are you marrying this guy? You know, like, it is like you're a Bobby guy. Oh my god! But I love them all almost equally. Um, but maybe I have some more favorites than others. <laughs> Look, you know everybody does. You know, I mean, I, I love Phil too. But I, you know, I was always a Jerry guy. Rob, Rob Hunt, my co-host, and I will, will often say that on any given night, I'd be just as happy to see the Jerry Garcia band as the Grateful Dead. Oh, yes. um, and just, you know, jam with Jerry all night long, his music, his songs. It's, you know, he doesn't have to trade off songs or oh, anything. No pressure. His energy. It is. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it was always great, but you know, look, 
Bobby, like every other part of the dead, you know, I think is something, you know, that you begin to, you, you begin to acquire a taste for and in a deeper appreciation for as you go on. Now, I'm not going to lie, you know, again, my, my actual musical knowledge is fairly limited, but, you know, when you start reading stories and hearing people talk about, you know, that, that Bobby wasn't just your ordinary rhythm guitar player, right, that he, he really mastered the craft and, and, you know, he really learned how to fill in the holes with Jerry and was a perfect compliment to him. And, you know, that was kind of stuff that I always just took for granted, but you can't just take it for granted. And, you know, Bobby is a showman in his own way. He may not always sing the songs the way I like him to sing them, but it's his man not mine he's entitled to sing him any damn way he wants and uh you know he he rarely disappoints you know he will come out and, and he'll put on the show that people want to hear and and he'll do his thing um but but i i'm, I'm not going to disagree with your underlying premise which is you know again you know if i had my way i would tear this whole building down and of course you know have nothing but you know jerry 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 phil jerry 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 sugar magnolia sugar magnolia playing in the band yeah. <laughs> those songs you can play all freaking day lost sailor saint of circumstance love that yeah. brother report suite amazing you know you know and and what else i mean cassidy's a great tune i mean you know there's so many of his songs that, that I've, I've gone back and forth with that one myself and and yeah, that's what i think about it i have my own journeys with individual songs of the grateful dead and it, it, it blows my mind. How, I, that doesn't happen with anybody else. There's nobody else's music I'm listening to. So many songs that just, that, you know, I've gone on emotional roller coasters with. And uh, so that, that clearly, it, it's got to mean, it's got to mean something. I mean, clearly it does. Yeah. So. Well, I think so. And I think, you know, we've talked about it on this show before a lot, which is, you know, that I think that Bobby somewhere in the, the early eighties and, and then onward, you know, really be, he, he became the front man for the band, right? He was the one who'd say, we'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks for coming out. That, you know, rarely if ever would Garcia say, even say a word, let alone, you know, really purposefully communicate with the audience. And, uh, you know, Bobby filled that role. Great. You know, not fade away while the rest of the band might be falling asleep. Bobby's up in front, jumping up and down about having a Cadillac and this and that throwing his arms out and you know the, you appreciate that energy you know at those moments in those shows when they're really kicking it it's great to see that the guys in the band are having a good time and you know on those rare occasions when jerry would you know sway back and forth a little bit and you know we would look garcia's dancing isn't this amazing you know but but with bobby it was just a given yeah. and, and it, it had to be somebody needed to be that role yeah. and you know he was the perfect the perfect foil for garcia and he was always the pretty boy he was always that face he was always he brought a different quirky energy that was vital to the whole Absolutely. thing. I mean, it's, you know, I live in new Orleans, everything's a gumbo right. and that's what that was. And his, his, his spice and his thing was certainly vital. You know, the cutoff jean shorts, that's probably not for everybody, but it was, you know, whatever. Worked for him. And now he wears the capris. Look, I'm you know very happy. It's having daughters has been a wonderful influence on him. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that's a great thing too, to, to see that. Um, let me just, we're, we're not going to have too much time, but I, I just want to touch really quickly. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on down in new Orleans music wise and, and where you go when you're in new Orleans and, you know, you just want to, you know, go see some great jamming and hang out. Yep. So I moved almost exactly two years ago. I mean, not far. Uptown New Orleans, New Orleans is it's a bubble. It's it's not. I don't put a lot of miles on my car every year. But I am walking distance now to Tipitina's, which is an iconic club down here uh, that I started going to when I was at Tulane. Uh, they, when I was, I was, that's why I said before, every two lane person winds up walking into Tipitina's, they all fall in love with the radiators and you hear about it forever. Yeah. And, but, and then what's, what's amazing here too is, is because it's not a big town, you're walking around, you've seen these musicians everywhere. Like they have kids, they're people too. And these are guys that I, you know, looked at, I worshiped when I was younger and now like, you know, they can become friends and it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's amazing. And that's, something that you get here so much of this, you know, it's a, feels like a big city to some people, but it's really a small town. And, uh, there's so much good music here, but Tipitina's is not five, seven days a week. The guys from Galactic own Tipitina's now. Uh, um, so I'm there, you know, a couple times a month. I, especially now going to see this upright, uh, Peter Harris, uh, is an upright bass guy who, who plays, um, at the Pontchartrain hotel, like four days a week. And it's free to get in. He has, I mean, from Stanton Moore, uh, Jason Marcellus, Johnny Badal. I mean, 
all, everybody comes in and plays with them rotating and it's free to get in. You can get good drinks. It's, it's more adult than a lot of the places that I <laughs> used to go to. But those kind of things, I mean, go to the Maple Leaf. George Porter still plays once a week. You can go there on Monday nights with Johnny Badakman, like 15 bucks to get in and and you're watching legends play. So it, it, pick the night and, and, and there's still a lot of good stuff to go see here in New Orleans. And I think what's exciting is I'm, I'm, I think there's more, there's a lot of commonality in the energy and, and, and improvisation of New Orleans music and, and, and Grateful Dead world. But those worlds did not right come together too well too often. And it was almost like uh, they were separate. You know, there's not a lot of, there's obviously a history that the Dead has with New Orleans, but this wasn't on their rotation very much. Just, uh, but I'm, I feel like there's more and more Grateful Dead music influence uh, being played by a lot of, whether it's Anders, Liddell, you know, guys from uh, the Radiators and all this kind of stuff. They, it, it, Honey Island Swamp Band, everything. you know, New Orleans, no, NOLA suspects. There, there's just, it seems to be creeping in. And I think, <laughs> I think that's a great thing. Um, hearing songs played with different energy and in a lot of different ways. So it's not, you're not going to go long without hearing a Grateful Dead tune, no matter where you poke your head here in New Orleans. No, I mean, every band you mentioned, you know, is great. You know, and I just, I think of the meters, I think of trombone shorty, you know, and, and some of these other guys who I've been lucky enough to see both in New Orleans uh, and in other places when they're touring. And it is always such a distinctive sound, but more important, you know, it, it, it brings along a little sense of, Hey, this is the way we do it down in New Orleans. And so we're going to bring it from there, you know, to your town tonight. And, you know, you get a chance to experience it the way they do down there. And it's always fun. Uh, I've got really good friends who live down in that part of the world. And, you know, anytime I have an excuse to go down there and say hello, uh, strangely enough, always right around the time of Jazz Fest. But, you know, what, what are, that's amazing how that happens. Whatever you can make it happen. Yep. You know, you go down there and, hey, guys, haven't talked to you in a while. But, boy, I saw that lineup at yeah. Jazz Fest and decided this is a good time to get some beignets and uh, and, and do our thing. Well, that's that's fun, too. But Jazz Fest is, uh, you know, we I think we had it, missed two years. It was canceled uh, because of COVID. And, and it is just it feels like it's back bigger, stronger than it's ever been. And, and you know, can it get cr- too crowded? Sure. But, you know, I, I don't need to go see all the big acts. I almost like it when everybody's going to see the big acts because that means all the other stages are uh, a lot easier, uh, a lot more accessible for me. Everybody wants to go see the Eagles. I am very, very comfortable going and seeing Dr. John and Warren Haynes. Yeah. Well, you guys all go see the Eagles, and we'll, we'll compare notes afterwards. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's dive back into exactly. this uh, show one more time here because uh, we, we, we still haven't heard uh, – all of the new songs from all the, the members. So uh, now Vinny gets his turn. Nobody could argue that the Grateful Dead weren't an egalitarian band. Here they are, you know, really on the on the, the back end of their career. They're all writing songs, and they reach out to a new guy in the band, Vince Wellnick, and say, have at it. And, uh, you know, Vinny comes up with Way to Go Home. You know, he also did Samba in the Rain with the Dead, which was a, a fun tune to hear him play. And, you know, Vinny just was a victim of bad timing. Uh, he's a great guy. 
uh, obviously had a very strong musical career before getting to the dead. And, um, you know, I, I love the way that they let him write some songs and, and get them out there. But what really impresses me about this song is the guys that he wrote it with Bob Ray love and the lyrics are by Robert Hunter. Now, you know, by this point in his career, Hunter could, you know, just kind of sit back in his rocking chair and be resting his laurels. But, uh, you know, he saw a guy coming into the band who he thought had a creative flair and, you know, took the time to sit down and crank out some lyrics for him. And, uh, you know, any, anytime you have a song where the lyrics are written by Robert Hunter, you know, it's up to the musician to blow it. And, 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 and Vinny doesn't do it here. You know, he, he really played it strong. Uh, this one also, this one debuted, uh, February 23rd, 92 at Oakland, in Oakland at the Coliseum. They actually wound up playing it 92 times, which I think is pretty significant for a Vince Wellnick tune over the last few years of the band. And this one was last played on June 28th, 95 at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Um, just for people who don't know or need a refresher, Bob Prelove is a keyboard synthesizer player who worked as a sound technician with the Grateful Dead from 86 to 95. Uh, throughout his tenure, he performed as an auxiliary musician throughout drums uh, and space, the band's signature, you know, uh, music seg segments always coming in the middle of the second set. And he also played a role, a key role in their integration of uh, MIDI, M-I-D-I technology, which stands for Musical Instrumentation Digital Interface, which allows all sorts of electronic instruments and, and uh, recorders and, and amps and everything to all work with one another and leave it to guys like uh, Mickey Hart and Bill Kreutzman working with uh, Bob Braylove, uh, you know, and even uh, Brent Midland and Bob Weir to really work all of this in to the Grateful Dead sound in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. Uh, he also co-wrote other Grateful Dead songs, uh, um, including uh, Picasso Moon, Way to Go Home, Easy Answers. Uh, and, uh, you know, he good for him. He, you know, again, somebody who came in and had one, purpose ostensibly in the band but was so talented uh that they were able to use them in a lot of different places uh yeah no, i was just gonna say, was say somebody was a good coach you got somebody who's 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 here who's on the team and he's got something extra let's find something else for him to do sorry no 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 you're absolutely right and and and, and they did a great job with all of it um uh you know bray love also was part of the psychedelic keyboard trio along with vince welnick and uh, former Grateful Dead keyboardist Tom Constantin. They collaborated as Dos Hermanos, a lot of other improvisational keyboard work. Uh, they toot somewhat irregularly, but Braylove was also busy working with Stevie Wonder. So, it, I mean, this is just always an amazing cast of characters that wind up somehow uh, interfacing into the Grateful Dead musical universe. And, uh, you know, kudos to Vince for even during his short time with the band, you know, kind of figuring out who these guys were and, uh, you know, attracting their attention where they were willing to give him the time and good for them, you know, to, to be egalitarian in that way and not just give, well, we're, we're here to work with Jerry. We don't really have time to work with, with the rest of you. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly a song, uh, that played well for the Grateful Dead and, you know, it helps secure Vince's legacy in the band to some degree. And, uh, anybody who plays with the Grateful Dead should have a legacy and it, you know, like I say, I like Vinny, and I'm, I'm glad he got his. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I agree. He, you, you don't, he, he's not as, just as many of the things that you just said uh, on how people, you know, uh, either perceive or uh, analyze his time with it. Just looking at these songs that you add here with these newer tunes, uh, you know, with, with Eternity and uh, Childhood's End, Way to go home. I know which song has made it more into my sphere out of those. And, and, and even not to play a spoiler, but what you have coming up, uh, except for the, that time in Chicago, I, I, which I think elevated it for a lot of people. Uh, this is the song. It's Vince's song that was most relevant to me. Yeah, Days Between is a, is a wonderful tune. We'll get to it in one second. Uh, this was another of, you know, the new, uh, you know, Jerry tunes, if you will. Um, and uh, again, first played in February of 93 out in Oakland. Uh, the Dead managed to get to it 42 times and was last played in June of 95 at RFK uh, in one of the final shows uh, of that summer tour, ultimately culminating in Soldier Field. It, it clearly has become a favorite of the surviving band members. They played it the third night at the 50th anniversary shows at Soldier Field. It's been frequently played by Dead & Co. with Bobby singing. Uh, it's also been played by Bob and Wolf Brothers, by Phil and Friends. Uh, it's a great tune to end this episode, and it's just a great tune all the way around. 
David Dodd, who also did a lot of work with the Grateful Dead, wrote about days between that it's come to be an anthem that makes us remember Garcia in a particular way, and in particular the days between his date, his birth date of August 1 and his death date of August 9. It's a fitting song for such thoughts with its big sweeping chords and its lyrics heavy with nostalgia and longing. There's a word in German, which I won't pronounce correctly, but Sunschucht, that lacks the proper emotional counterpart in English, but which means roughly longing, carrying a sense of wishing you could see something, uh, that something is missing from your eyes and from your presence. I find that Days Between belongs with a raft of songs that induce this feeling for me. It's a late song in the Robert Hunter Garcia songbook, perhaps their last uh, great collaboration on a big significant song, one that has to rank with Dark Star and Terrapin Station, uh, as ambitious and intentionally grand about it. Um, and during its relatively short run in the live repertoire, they still got to it, as we say, 40 times, always in the second set, uh, mostly always coming out of drums. And Phil Lesh had this to say about it. I don't know whether to weep with joy at the beauty of the vision or with sadness at the impassable chasm of time between the golden past and the often painful present. And, and yeah, the, we're, we're very shortly going to be coming up on to the, uh, the days between these, these eight or nine days that really uh, symbolize a lot for, for deadheads and Garcia fans and, uh, and anybody who loves this kind of music. Um, and days between was definitely a tune that had to grow on you. You know, the first couple of times it was, you know, kind of slow and, and Garcia maybe not have been at the top of his game. Uh, but you're right. I think that we're doing it in 2015 uh, really kind of put it on a whole nother level for people and caused a lot of us to go back and, and really reassess our feelings about the song and the way uh, that Jerry played it. And, you know, then you kind of hit your head like, wow, you know, if, if I hadn't been there so concerned that he wasn't playing morning dew, um, <laughs> you know, I, I might've really enjoyed him doing this because he had the, the emotion in his voice and the ability to really, uh, you know, take this song and, and, and make it great. So we're going to listen to this in one second, but, just really quickly, Christian, I just want to say thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. This has been great. I've enjoyed our conversation. It's always fun uh, to talk with a guy who loves the Grateful Dead, loves good music, knows all about New Orleans music. And my guy, we never even got to cannabis. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for the next time you're on. And, uh, you know, we, we can talk about all, all the joy that people get out of that as well. Maybe it, maybe it's a Jazz Fest podcast in New Orleans Ooh. next year. The, you know, a, a location podcasting recording. I, I love that. You know, I'm going to have to talk to Dan about the travel budget, though, and see if uh, <laughs> see if that's something that's in the cards for this for this scraggly group, even though uh, we might have to take you up on it anyway. Um, but thank you for being on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, you added a lot and uh, really appreciate the insight, both as it relates to the Grateful Dead and just musically overall. So uh, thank you and please uh, plan to come back again sometime because we'd love to have you. And so, yeah, otherwise, in closing out, I will just say to everyone, listen, have a great week. Be happy that Fish's uh, tour came out. By the way, anybody who's old enough to really appreciate it, go to YouTube and check out the cover version they did the last night in Alpharetta, Georgia, of the Vicki Lawrence tune, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, uh, from way back when she was still on the Carol Burnett show. And the fact that Fish played it was great. It, it, it doesn't sound very good, but they're playing it. And so, uh, you know, that's absolutely a lot of fun. Dave's Picks 47 from St. Louis in December 1979. Uh, my brother Jeff went to that show. He's never seen a dead show since, but he loves telling it. Where was it? Where was it? St. Louis Keel Auditorium, ah. December 79. I got married at the Fox Theater in St. Louis. And during the wedding, I got to go on the stage, do my Jerry pose. Yep. Fox <laughs> Theater. We'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about that, too. That's another one of our favorite stories. But yeah, no, just a quick shout out to my brother, Jeff, because he did see the Grateful Dead before I on De in December 79. So he was actually at the show and I'm going to have to get him a copy of it. For everybody else, thank you. Continue to enjoy your summer. Make the most of it. Be safe and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Here's Jerry. Shells keep their 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.